Welcome, I'm Melissa Durda, and this is Synergo's Cultivate the Soul podcast. Stories of purpose-driven philanthropy from around the world. Over this series, we explore together the intersection of contemplative practices, spirituality, philanthropy, and social impact. Join us as we dive into the personal journey of each guest and what they have discovered about the role of inner work on one's capacity to change the world. To learn more about each of our guests and view the full episode list, please visit synergos.org slash podcast. Hi, I'm Kat Ferry, CEO of Mowgli Mentoring, and I cultivate my soul by being around baby elephants. Today we are joined by Kat Burry, CEO of Mowgli Mentoring. Kat is focused on nurturing connectedness, meaningful relationships, and communities that enable people to overcome that which holds them back as they discover and realize their true potential. To do her part in achieving this and to catalyze human, economic, and societal transformation, she has made mentoring and coaching her sole focus. Kat's full bio is available on our podcast website. So Kat, thanks for coming on the podcast. It's so good to have you here. Thanks. So I'd like to get us started by asking you to tell us a memory or story from your life that's been instrumental in shaping your views on what matters. No, thanks. And it's, it's a great starting question. I think I've grown up as a global nomad. I grew up in the Middle East and Qatar and then Cyprus. I then went to boarding school in the UK. And then I pretty much lived my life outside of the UK since then. I had a fantastic childhood in Qatar. It literally consisted of me going to nursery school, primary school and swimming, which I think every kid can dream of. And then I started to realize maybe the pressures of growing up as I went to Cyprus. And I started to face bullying and bullying because of something that somebody else wanted my mother to do, nothing to do with me. And I realized at that time that, you know, I was really relying upon myself because I didn't want to share this with my mother and my father. I wanted to, I was quite stubborn. I still am quite stubborn. And I really wanted to deal with it myself. But it did lead to some quite unhappy, unhappy years. And then I moved to the UK and I went to boarding school and that sort of unhappiness and kind of loneliness really kind of set in at that point, because not only was I now away from my parents from the age of 10, but my mother was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis at that same time. And so fully aware that she was dealing with her own demons and traumas and everything going on with her around the illness. My father was traveling quite a lot as he was building businesses in the Middle East And I was on my own in a boarding school where I was also quite different, I think, is probably the right way to say it, to the others around me. And I felt quite isolated. I felt like I didn't really belong. And to be honest, I felt quite helpless that I couldn't do anything for my mum in that situation. And my sort of not fitting in, not feeling like I belonged and that loneliness really lasted for about six years out of the seven years that I was in boarding school. And I was reflecting on the other day, actually, around what was the trigger that changed that feeling. And I love music and I, I'm very good at remembering song words. And I can remember that we had a school band and there was a concert that we were going to play. And I was asked if I would join the school band, which was you know fun and cool and exciting to do. I said yes. And it was the first time at the school that I really felt as if I belonged to something, even though it was a four-person band, but it was still something that 
I was creating something that I felt I belonged within that sort of small community. And that was a really sort of key defining moment for me in terms of building my confidence to get involved in more things. But also I realized that belonging really is something that really mattered to me and actually had been missing for quite a few years. And that kind of triggered then my sort of future, future trajectory thereafter. Well, thank you for sharing that. So music was instrumental in shifting things for you. What do you feel most passionate about? Is it music or are there other things? I think there's quite a few things. I think there's music. I think nature, being in nature. I've had the pleasure of living in Kenya and Tanzania for quite a number of years, near on nearly two decades on and off. So being in safari land for me is my place of zen, my place of just connection. And so very passionate about obviously then environment, climate and everything that comes with with that. What I realized, though, probably about 12 years ago was that because of actually going back to those initial moments as a child, was that actually what I was really passionate about was loneliness and belonging and the interplay between. And over the years, I've really sort of worked on and honed kind of what my what my why is. And it's really centered around creating purposeful and supportive connections that foster this sense of belonging, but not just outside of ourselves, but actually first and foremost within ourselves. So within oneself and then with others, so as to therefore eliminate the feelings of loneliness and enabling people to actually live a more fulfilled life as a result. As you experience loneliness and isolation, can you also name if there have been sources for you of inspiration that have helped you deal with those challenges? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I think I'm super, super grateful and blessed to have had two parents who in their own way nurtured, mentored, and they've been and continue to be a huge inspiration for me, despite the difficulties, you know, especially with my mother's health and, you know, my father being a serial entrepreneur. There have been trials and tribulations within that, but the family unit for me is a very strong pillar of grounding and connection and inspiration throughout. Also, I think, you know, it's amazing how when you have these questions, you remember you can channel your inner parent or someone who said something to you when you're a child. One of my father's key phrases was, Kat, no matter what you do, invest 10% of your annual income in developing yourself, whether that is developing your skills or your knowledge areas, whether that is you know, strengthening an area of development that you want to focus on, or whether it's strengthening a strength that you want to get better at, whether it is getting support, whether it's coaching, therapy, mentoring, whatever it may be, but something around sort of that inner to then sort of show up differently in the outer is really, you know, where he was saying, invest in yourself because that's the best investment you can make. And so I think having gone through all different forms of support, and tried them out because I'm really quite interested in psychology and related areas. That's something that's given me a huge amount of inspiration. I think the other part, sort of going back to nature, is there's a film that's called The Power of One that's been developed off of Bryce Courtney's book that's based in South Africa. It's a fantastic film, but in its own right, there's an expression in the film which says, whatever question you have, the answer you'll find in nature. And I think even today when I'm thinking about, I don't know, a business strategy or I'm thinking about how to enter a new community or I'm thinking about how to be better at being on my own, because that's also a part of the having had the loneliness, how does one then actually be okay with being on their own? It's quite an interesting play with that. 
I often look at nature and think, well, how does a pack of wild dogs deal with it? How does a herd of elephants deal with it? How does a group of ants work at, you know, and just looking at finding inspiration through that. And then being actively part of communities. I started a community in Dubai because when I used to live there in those days, I was a little bit disheartened by this push to understand job titles and where people live to be able to categorize them as financially what they could give you or if they could serve you in some way. And I really wanted to connect on a human level. And so I created a a sort of a networking group called Social Mill, which was really around get to know the person in front of you. You're not allowed to exchange a business card until the end when you leave. And so kind of really trying to push that human first sort of message. And then being part of Entrepreneurs Organization in Kenya, I was one of the founding members. And then I was a member with there for nine years before moving back to the UK last year. And that really helped me to not be lonely in my career path, as well as, you know, they focus on a 360 degree sort of approach to their support. And it just, especially, you know, during some of the hard times was definitely a key source of inspiration, but actually a key support mechanism that helped me work out how to navigate through things, being able to rely on other people. Now, that's wonderful that these three elements of inner work, nature, and community are so powerful in helping us connect to ourselves and transform ourselves. So now let's move to the work that you're doing in the world. Your family has been a member of the Global Philanthropist Circle for a number of years, and I met you a while ago when you were living in Dubai. And at that time, Mowgli Mentoring was an operating foundation and supporting entrepreneurs. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what Mowgli does and also about the journey and its impact? Sure. And I was just going to actually say about your highlights of those three, the inner work, nature and community is they're all basic human and basic things we can find around us. And I think we often search for the things that we can't attain, but stepping outside and just putting feet on grass is free if you can find a park nearby, having human connection. So I think it's how do we go back to basics, make things simple and enjoyable for ourselves by realizing what really matters. And that's definitely a quest that I've been on and kind of really, you know, sort of see how can I support others to do the same. So Mowgli Mentoring, yes. Just sort of maybe going back to the origins, you know, explaining a little bit about how it started. So it was started by my father, uh, Tony Berry. He's what I call it, you know, a serial or an entrepreneurial junkie because he has started now 19 businesses and still to this day keeps thinking of new things to do. And he was struggling with not learning and not challenging the status quo, not changing things within the Middle East where 14 of those businesses had been created. And he really wanted to do something that was going to leave a legacy within the region, not a legacy for him, but a legacy for a change in the way that something is done or the way that people sort of interact with each other. And we were hearing all about, you know, sort of the unemployment levels back in 2003, 2004, that 80 to 100 million jobs were needed in the MENA region by 2020, just to keep unemployment levels the same. And looking at the US and how many they can create, which in a good year, let's say four to five, it's like, how are we going to create this huge number of jobs within this time frame? not even to improve upon them, just to keep things a status quo. And he did a scoping assessment of the region in terms of looking at, okay, how are people supporting entrepreneurs? Because he could see that they were a key piece of the puzzle of how to create these jobs. And he realized that everybody was really focusing on three key areas. One was around business skills and knowledge courses. So a lot of training programs that were being run. 
he was also noticing that a lot of well sort of offering different forms of financing right the way from microfinance all the way up to PE and VC. He was also very quick to cotton on to the fact that there are a number of co-working spaces that were being dressed up as incubators and accelerators, but weren't really offering the value of what an incubation accelerator can offer. And he said, all of those are useful within the ecosystem that is needed for entrepreneurship to really thrive. But there's something drastically missing. And that is who's really focusing on the person who's leading that business. Who's the person who's staying up till 3am trying to work out what their next move is? Who's the person who is carrying guilt with them because they're leaving their two kids at home to try and chase a dream they have no idea of the outcome of, which is loneliness? And who's really helping them to strengthen their, what we call core spirit, which is their confidence, their motivation, their resilience, their hope, and their mindset. Because if what we feel is if you don't strengthen that, you can throw as much training, as much finance as you want at someone, they're not going to be able to make the right decision of how to move forward. So together with a gentleman called Simon Edwards, he developed a mentoring approach, which then became Mobley Mentoring. And we call it a 360 degree mentoring approach, which is where we focus first and foremost on the person and then the business or the role behind that person. And this is what we've seen has not really been a key focus within entrepreneurial and or leadership approaches. It's very much focused on business or the organization and the results. And the reason why we feel this is important is we've taken a formula that Timothy Galway wrote in his book called The Inner Game, which is potential minus interference equals performance. And I believe we believe that everybody has an abundance of potential, but there's this huge boulder of interference that stands in the way of someone converting that into performance. And performance is the definition that they want to use. It could be success, it could be fulfillment, it could, whatever it is of the outcome that they want to convert their potential into. And within interference, we see it being sort of having two components. The first is the external interference, which are the how do I do something? What do I do? If, who do I speak to about? How do I build something? And they're typically where the, the sort of business skills and the knowledge-based courses have really focused. But it's that internal area which are the fears, the limiting beliefs, the insecurities, and the psychological factors that we've knowingly or unknowingly adopted since we've been children and still carry with us today, that if they are not given the room to come to the surface, to then be explored, to be reflected upon, and then the person able to make a choice of whether or not they want to deal with it and how they want to deal with it, then we don't believe that we're actually going to get the return on the investment from that's being made on the external side and then we're certainly not going to get the full conversion for potential into performance. And so that is where this 360 degree approach really for us is, is critical in that. And so we've been now running mentoring programs that start off with the designing programs for whoever's funding that program to really set what are the outcomes they're looking to achieve. We then recruit the right people into the programs, whether it's mentors and or mentees. We train the mentors because all of our mentors tend to come with the business or the sectoral or the industry expertise. And what we train them in is the art, the skill and the mindset of creating a trust-based relationship so that they're able to now explore with the individual those personal sides and actually bring to the surface, you know, what is the vision this person has for their life? Are they living their life in alignment with that vision? If not, what decisions need to be made and supporting them in making those decisions because that's the scary part. Once you realize you're actually not on the track you want to be on, it's, oh, how do we go from here? 
So then, you know, looking at what other areas are really taking away the focus from achieving what you want to achieve. And this often then highlights some of the strengths and the, the weaknesses that are maybe in the sort of the organizational side, which then the mentor is able to also share from their experience, wisdom, guidance, and hold accountable so that they can set the goals and actually fulfill what they want to set at the end of the day. And then we run these mentoring programs over a course of 12 months, six to 12 months generally. And that's really been the, the basis of what we've been doing over the last 15 years. However, over the last few years, what we've been doing more and more is actually offering a more comprehensive program, which is where mentoring is like the core grounding pillar within the programs that we offer. But then we bring in leadership development components. We bring in training components. We bring in coaching. We bring in grant making in, in the form of giving access to finance. And so really it's, you know, in the old coaching adages, meet the person where they're at and then help them move forward. That's what we're doing is helping the person to, through mentoring, to understand where they're at and where they want to go, and then bringing in the different interventions as and when needed to help them to move forward. And doing that for two main groups of people, there's entrepreneurs, typically from seed stage up to growth stage, which is really covering the valley of death, which is where a lot of businesses fail and across all sectors. And then working with NGO leaders, foundation grantees and organizations which are working in the social impact purpose and or just as a social enterprise and really supporting them to to navigate and deal with the challenges that come. And I think especially for the last, for that second group, the NGO leader and grantee sort of social impact space, no one really invests in that space. We expect impact to happen through them, but yet who's actually supporting them to capacity build them and and help them to be strong, resilient, confident, motivated in their work to therefore create the impact that we want. Oh, it sounds like a, a really important model that you are not only meeting people where they are, but also helping them to understand who it is they are, how they're showing up, and to get rid of the internal interference as they're also exploring the external interference. One thing that we've discussed recently that I'm fascinated by is also the shift that you've made in terms of how you've moved from a foundation to a social business. You know, working with philanthropists and social investors around the world, there are so many different models on how one can engage and make social impact. And there's a lot of new models that really put sustainability at the front and center. And in this shift to a social business, what really struck me is that it felt like that's a more sustainable model as opposed to fundraising and relying on donor funds to support work that you're doing. So can you tell me a little bit about that and how that's worked out for you in this particular work that you do? Absolutely. So yeah, as I mentioned, you know, Mowgli Foundation was started by my father, which was the former name of the organization, just to be clear on that. And he really wanted to give the philanthropic seed capital through a UK registered charity vehicle to prove or disprove does mentoring enable entrepreneurs to grow, succeed and grow sustainable, successful businesses. That was really what he wanted to prove or disprove. And kind of we started in 2008 and towards 2016, 17, we were starting to see that actually it was quite being a UK registered charity was hampering our ability to grow. Because even though my father had set aside this philanthropic capital to start Mowgli Foundation up, it 
then became a requirement for it to be a sustainable operation, which was different to what I'd understood in those days around what philanthropy was really about. And so it kind of the nature of the organization and the requirement for us to now go out and fundraise and to operate differently, you know, sort of had come into the mix. And we realized that that way of operating and the rules of engagement that the UK Charity Commission were asking us to engage in, which was simply, for instance, as someone working in Mowgli, I wasn't able to be paid through the charity because I was the daughter of the person who founded it. Rightly so with regards to a charity. But if we're trying to run a sustainable business that actually is operating properly, as the CEO, I should be paid. You know, you want to make sure that your business is able to cover all of your costs. So a simple one in that way. And we also at the same time were looking at different routes that we could take around the structure, including CIO and do we keep the foundation and set up another organization and have those, you know, sort of the profit funds coming into But we realized that actually, at the same time, my father was also saying that the giving that he had promised to give was now four times what he promised at the end of those years. And so it's kind of a case of you need to stand on your own two feet. And rightly so. Again, we were looking to create now a sustainable, we'd done the pilot, we'd gotten the impact that proved the case. Now it's a case, okay, how do we now take this to more and more people? But we're going to have to do that through a different vehicle than what we'd started off with. And so we sought out quite a lot of legal advice to make sure that we were converting ourselves from being a foundation into a limited company structure. We sought out permission from all of our funders at that time, if they were happy to do so, and made sure that everything was being done compliantly from that perspective. And we also made sure that our employees were also, number one, aware of it, were engaged in it understood the reasons why, and that they were transferred from the foundation through to Mowgli Mentoring Limited, which we are today, in the correct manner. And so really, compliance is key for us. So we made sure we did that. And hence, it took three and a half years to do. It was a very long process. You know, what has been great to see coming out of it is that we've been able to nearly double our growth in three years since coming out of a charity status because we're able now to diversify revenue models. So yes, we have, just actually to be clear, Melissa, in our articles of association, I'm the sole shareholder at the moment of Mowgli Mentoring. And so in the article of association, what I've done is I've changed one of the clauses to say that we are not going to dividend any profits out from the organization until, originally it was until the end of 2022, and I just extended that until the end of 2025. And so in effect, we're operating as a not-for-profit. So we're still able to work with foundations under a grant agreement, but we're also able to work with other government and international donors under a grant or a fee-for-service agreement. But we've also now expanded out our B2C models. And so we're able to now substitute some of that revenue with now a different form of revenue coming in, which we wouldn't have been able to do under the charity status. And so it's enabled us to play the game differently. And as you say, leverage from the world of business but not at the expense of the impact, not at the expense of employees, not at the expense of the stakeholders that are involved in it, and really merge the two worlds together, which for me gives, I think actually gives me a bit more sort of sense of achievement and purpose that we are able to now expand out the reach of the impact that we're able to achieve. No, that's significant, nearly doubling the growth of work that you do. And I suppose that's a primary aim for a lot of people once they have a model that they see that works 
and they want to make it accessible to as many people as possible. Absolutely. And it's just to be clear, it's growth. Yes, it might be financial growth, which enables us to then develop new products and accept build out. But it's also impact. It's increasing that reach. It's getting mentoring into more and more hands. I mean, for me, it's, you know, the dream that everyone is a mentor and has a mentor. That's really what we want to achieve. And so making effective mentoring available and accessible together with other forms of, you know, human support is really, really key. And what have you found now working in the sector? What are some of the greatest challenges that you're facing? So I think some of the greatest challenges in the sector, I think there's a power dynamic between foundations, funders, and those of us who are the implementers, which can sometimes be quite challenging. And, you know, there's quite a lot in the press or in the media around some of the hoops that some of us have to take to just try and get to grant funding. That is a a challenge and it can take a lot of resource. You know, there have been some proposals that we've worked on that we worked out. We spent one and a half thousand hours between the most two senior people in the organization before we managed to get the funding. Where could that resource have been angled to? I'm a eternal optimist. And to be honest, the questions we were asked during those processes were fantastic because it helped us think. So we were able to gain from a learning perspective in that process. But I think if we're trying to serve people and ensure that businesses are growing, how do we make sure that we're not crippling at the same time? So that's one challenge we have. I think the other challenge is, you know, a lot of work today is being done online and through the use of tech. And, you know, at the minute, chat GPT, AI is the talk of the town, or even GPT-4 at the minute, as you know, it's coming out the last few days. AI is the talk, but what about HC, which is human connection? I think that the trauma that has come up for people during COVID, I think the loneliness that tech is actually generating within people, I think people don't have the skills and the toolkit to be able to deepen their self-awareness, to be able to work out how they move forward. And they don't have people around them to do it with them as companions. And therefore, they're stuck. And I see it day in, day out. And so one of the challenges is how do we get out of our phones and out of the tech and actually start going back to basics again of human to human engagement? Because there are certain things that AI can't do. And I think we need to remember that and say it's okay to be vulnerable it's okay to be open it's okay to ask for help because actually it'll yield a much greater outcome if you look towards the future i mean what would you see as kind of the potential you mentioned human to human connection and the importance around that are there other things that you see as kind of important to our shared future we could go into sort of you know the climate change and making sure that you know we're supporting as much as we can people going driving that and going through that and it's a large part of the work we've been doing over the last five years through one of our leadership academies. I think it's collaboration is the key word for everything for me. I think we certainly cannot do everything on our own and we work pretty much in every bit of the sort of the angles of, of work that we do. We work with other people. We work with other organizations who have strengths that we you know leverage and, and make sure that we're bringing the best of the best together to be able to achieve the impact. How do I imagine the future? As I said earlier, I'd love to see a world where everybody is and becomes a mentor or has the mentoring skills to be able to create the conversations, the purposeful conversations and the connections that they need to be able to really live the life that they want to live and really unlock their potential in that process. Those are two of the key ones for me at the minute. That's a beautiful vision. Well, I hope we can all work together to make that happen. How can people learn more about what you're doing? Do you have a website? 
Absolutely. So it's www.mowgli.org.uk. Perfect. Well, Kat, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today and sharing this amazing work you're doing. Thank you, Melissa, for having me. Can't believe the time's gone so quickly. What I loved about this conversation with Kat is how through mentoring, she's building a cadre of leaders who are aware of their internal interference and are able to create purposeful connections within themselves and to others.